Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. another opportunity to come before the Lord and give him praise for everything he's doing in your life. So come to your feet, put your hands together, let's give God some praise. Sing it up, come on. Our God and firm foundation, our rock, the only solid ground. Rise and fall. Kingdoms were strong, now shaken. We trust forever in your name. In the name of Jesus. We trust the name of Jesus. Thank you. 
give the Lord a hand this morning. Give him praise. Let's raise our voices up. Come on. I want every voice to give praise to God. Sing it with me. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. Come on. Start singing loud. I said, sing a little loud.
Amen. As we close in worship this morning, I just want to give this song up to the Lord. Whatever you're facing, proclaim these words because God is on the throne all the time.
Dearly Father, Lord, as those words proclaimed, let us never forget that you are a God who does not fail. We may fail. The world around us may fail, Lord, but you are God who can move mountains. We know from your word, Lord, that you have done countless miracles. So, Lord, we pray today that you would remind us that you are a God who does it again and again and again, over and over, proclaiming who you are. Let our hearts receive that, Lord. Let us be reminded of your peace, Lord, of your love, of your joy. Let us keep our eyes on you, Lord. And as we watch this service this morning, Lord, I pray that as we look into your word, you would reveal yourself in a way that only you can to each and every heart, Lord. Let that heart be drawn to you, Lord. Let them be in your presence and dwell among them, Lord. I pray that if there's a heart who's watching, who doesn't know you, Lord, that you would come into their heart and let them know that they are precious, they are valued, they are worthy of your love, Lord. And they would be drawn to you, Lord. And you would ultimately give them the opportunity, Lord, through your son, Jesus Christ, to have that relationship with you, Lord. So again, what an awesome time just to come together and praise your name through lifting our voices, Lord. And we continue to seek you, to worship you throughout this day, throughout this morning, Lord. Be with us. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, good morning, South Valley. My name is Thomas Curtis. I hope you guys are having a blessed, blessed day. On behalf of our pastoral search team, I would like to give you guys an update of where we are. Exciting announcement. We are transitioning to, to the very final stage um, of, the, of the search process um, through much prayer and through discernment and, and fasting and things like that. Uh, the search team is in 100% unison, and we have called a pastor here um, to South Valley. He has is, he is also prayed and, and, and also feels the same that God is calling him here. Um, so we're excited. The board's excited. His family's excited. So the next step after this is a candidating weekend where you get to get information about him and, and more information to come on what that looks like because of COVID and, and traveling and things like that. It might be a little bit different than usual. So we'll, we'll update you as we get more information. But tentatively, we are looking at a little bit before Christmas 
or right after Christmas. Uh, so once we get a little bit more information, we will let you know. Again, thank you so, so much for your prayers, your ongoing support, and your love. Uh, we are excited to make this announcement and feel that this is this is the man that God is calling here in the South Valley. So we can't wait to uh, to introduce him. So stay tuned. Thank you guys so much again for all your love and support. Hope you and your family have a blessed and safe Thanksgiving. We love you guys. Have a great day. Hey, South Valley. I got some information for you, some announcements that you might want to jot down. We just have two things that we want you to know that are coming up. We are heading right towards Thanksgiving, and then quickly after Thanksgiving comes December, and we all know what December means. We get to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christmas is coming, so we're going to turn this place into a Christmas zone. So on December 5th, we're going to have Christmas decoration extravaganza. We want you to come out. If you love to decorate for Christmas, we'd love to have have you join us. We're going to be putting up trees and lights and wreaths and all kinds of good stuff. And uh, that is going to be on December 5th at 8.30 a.m. Look for that announcement. Just want to kind of prime that so that you can mark your calendars. We know December gets filled up really quickly. And then also on the next day, December 6th, we have our baptism services on Sunday morning. So we're going to have baptisms both at our 9 and 10.30 service. And we want you to know that you can sign up for that on your church center app. If you have that on your phone, open that up and go to the next step button on there. Click that and it'll give you the information that you need to be able to sign up. Or you can go to svcclamore.org, next step button on that page, and it'll take you right where you need to go. Once you sign up, Pastor Seth will get a hold of you and let you know everything you need to know so that we could celebrate your next step and your faith in the waters of baptism. So that's all we got for you this morning. We love you, we miss you, and we pray that you have a blessed day as we go into God's word. God bless you. He sits on the cold dirt and rock floor, staring between his feet, wondering if he's been forgotten, wondering if this is how he spends the rest of his life. And he couldn't help but feel just a little bit bitter about the way that he got here. I mean, if if they would have just listened to him, if, if his family would have just, if they would have just been better to him. And suddenly in that moment, a lock slides out of place and a door slams open. And two men clad in Egyptian armor walk in directly towards him. Let's go, are the only words that they said to him. And so he got up off of the ground and he began to follow them. They walked out of the darkness of the dungeon and back out into the light of reality. And as they progressed, as they continued to walk, he noticed that the things around him continued to seem more and more expensive. He was noticing that things seemed to look more and more extravagant. And what this made him realize is that whoever called for him, whoever it was who was wanting to meet with him, was someone who was powerful. And as they approached one last set of doors, the two Egyptian guards pressed onto the doors and they swung open, and there he was, 
Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And he motions to Joseph to sit. And Pharaoh himself sits. And he begins to tell Joseph about these dreams. But, but they weren't just any dreams. He had been having these crazy dreams, these bizarre dreams. And nobody in Egypt knew what to do with these dreams. They knew that they must mean something, but what? And so they'd heard about this man, Joseph, who, who had a way with dreams, and so he called him, and he begins to explain these dreams to Joseph. One of the dreams that he explains, this bizarre dream, he explains to Joseph that out of the Nile River in Egypt, these cows are coming up out of the river, and some of the cows are eating some of the other cows, and what in the world are we supposed to do with this, Joseph? And Joseph says, listen, your dreams that you're having, it's all one message that God is sending to you. Here's what God's trying to tell you, Pharaoh. God is telling you that there is going to be seven years of feast, seven years of plenty, but that's going to be followed by seven years of famine. And so we're, we're skipping a lot of the story to get to this point here with you. So, so let me just very, very quickly recap. Joseph was one of many brothers, and uh, early on in his childhood, he began to have these dreams that his whole family would be bowing down to him. And as he shared these dreams, well, his family wasn't thrilled with him. In fact, his brothers got so angry with him that they sold him into slavery. That's how he ended up in Egypt. And as he was in the house of Potiphar in Egypt, he had to overcome temptation from Potiphar's wife. Unfortunately, false testimony landed him in prison, which is where he's been sitting up until this moment when Pharaoh needed him to interpret the dreams. So, Joseph tells Pharaoh what his dreams mean, but he doesn't stop there. And, and this is a really defining moment for Joseph. See, I don't know about you guys, but I'm the kind of guy that if I had just gotten out of prison, I'm not going to do anything else that can risk me in any way getting into any trouble, right? And I just happen to know that if there's any part of me that can get me into trouble— it's my mouth, right? My wife can tell you that too. And so, so I, I would just, hey, here's your dream. I'm just going to go do my own thing. I'll leave you to whatever it is that pharaohs do. But Joseph doesn't do that. See, Joseph, he decides instead. He tells Pharaoh, he says, listen, there's going to be seven years of feast followed by seven years of famine. But then he goes on. And he begins to explain to Pharaoh what he should do about this, how he should handle it. In other words, he's now telling Pharaoh how to do his job. The audacity of Joseph. And so Joseph is telling Pharaoh, he says, listen, you've got to find someone who can take charge over all of this. And during these seven years of feast, you want this person to be collecting and storing up food so that when the seven years of famine come, you can distribute the food to everyone as necessary. 
And Pharaoh, Pharaoh responds this way. If you've got your Bibles, uh, Genesis chapter 41, and we're going to start in verse 37. And so Pharaoh responds this way. It says, the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, hey, since God has made all this known to you and there's no one so discerning and wise as you, you shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen. He put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And people shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. So here it is. It's, it's finally happened. Joseph's dreams have been realized. Here it is. See, Joseph had these dreams when he was younger that people would be bowing down to him, that he would be in a position of authority. And when he was with Potiphar, he thought that in that moment, this is the time, this is when the dreams are coming true, this is when the things that God has spoken to me will come to fruition, until they didn't. Until instead of people bowing down to him, he found himself in prison. But now, now this passage tells us that the dreams are coming true. Literally, when these people were shouting, make way, they would have been bowing down to Joseph to make way for him to come through. The dreams are finally being realized. And listen, church, it gets easy to give up. It, it, it gets so easy to decide that you're never actually going to make it. But if you're still here, that means that God still has a plan for you. That means that God is still using you. That means that the time is still coming when the dreams will be realized. God is still moving. So keep trusting. But knowing what we know now in the story of Joseph, we have to wonder, right? We, we have to wonder about what sort of things could be lurking in Joseph's heart in this moment. See, I'm the kind of guy, and I'm not proud of this, but I'm the kind of guy who, if I'm pressing towards something and there are people who are saying, Seth, you can't do it, when there are people who are actively opposing me, if I make it, Sometimes I can have a little bit of a tendency to be arrogant. Sometimes I, I want to be the guy who says, I told you so. Sometimes I can become a little bitter towards the people who said, Seth, you can't. Because guess what? I did. Right? It's not a great quality. It's, it's certainly not a good quality even. But I think a lot of us can resonate with that. And sure enough, there's food in Egypt but in the rest of the surrounding area is famine. Everybody's relying on Egypt right now. 
And so Joseph's own father sends his sons. He says, hey, go to Egypt and get us some food because there's no food left here for us. So he sends the sons to go get food. You know, those same people who sold Joseph into slavery, the same people who are the reason that he's here in the first place. And so the sons get there and and they're before Joseph and they begin to bow down before him and beg for food. But then look at this when we move on in Genesis chapter 42. In Genesis 42, 7, it says, and as soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to to buy food. And although Joseph recognized his brothers, he, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You're spies. You've come to see where our land is unprotected. And see, this is what I want you to know, church. Bitterness will cause you to act out of character. See, if you're familiar with the story of Joseph, this is not the character of Joseph that got him to the position that he's in. This is not the character of Joseph that Potiphar saw and said, I want you to be in charge with me. This isn't the Joseph that we know. This is a completely different Joseph. Have you ever treated someone you knew like a stranger? Have you ever held that sort of resentment in your heart like Joseph has here? You know, I I grew up in a church that unfortunately hindered growth in a lot of ways. And everything was all about rules. Everything was very dogmatic. And and it was just overall, it was not a good experience. In that time, I, I did, however, make a few really good friends. And we've all moved on to different churches that are part of different denominations uh, that have nothing to do with the churches that we grew up in. And I noticed that shortly after we left, we were still talking to each other. And, and we started to get really, really mean towards people who were still in this same denomination. In our, in our own private conversations, we had all sorts of things to say, because everybody's tough in their own private conversations, right? Or behind a keyboard. Uh, not that any of you know what that's like. But, you know, hopefully, hopefully you've gotten, at least some of you have gotten to know me well enough at this point that you know that I'm generally not a very nasty person. So this was incredibly out of character for me. And it actually occurred to me when it started to get boring criticizing these people that I realized that I was bitter. I was bitter and I hadn't even noticed. I I was so upset that they had stifled my growth. I I was so upset that they were comfortable being a church that was comfortable with not growing. I I was so upset that they were so okay with hating people who were wrong instead of loving the truth that I became bitter and it took over my life for a season. I was not, I was not myself. Bitterness took me over. And so I think all of us deal with bitterness in some regard. I think all of us have been hurt by someone. A lot of us have been hurt by, by someone close. A lot of us by Christians. And that 
that will happen when you make yourself vulnerable like a Christian's supposed to do. So what do you do with bitterness? Oftentimes, we lash out. That's how we like to react. We lash out. And so look at how Joseph follows this up. A little bit of a story. Joseph questions his brothers about their family. He, he asks them what kind of family they've got and everything. And, and they explain to Joseph that they've got a younger brother and a father who didn't come with them. And so Joseph says, okay, fine. If you're really not spies, if you're really the honest men who you say you are, then here's your food that you've paid for. You're going to go back and uh, you're actually, one of you is going to stay here with me. You're going to choose a brother who will stay here, but the rest of you will go back and you'll bring the youngest brother to me to prove that you're telling the truth. And so they all leave, they get home, and they realize that not only do they have the food, but all the money that they paid for the food has been put back in their bags. And at this point, they are freaking out. They're panicking. What do we do? This guy already doesn't trust us. Now it looks like we stole from him. What in the world are we going to do? And so after they've had a bit of an argument with their dad, they get ready to go back and beg for forgiveness. But this time they have Benjamin with them, the youngest brother, the one they promised they would bring back. And so we keep moving in the story in Genesis 43, verses 26 through 30. It says that when Joseph came home, they, his brothers, presented to him the gifts they'd brought into the house, and they bowed down before him to the ground. And he asked them how they were, and then he said, How's your aged father you told me about? Is he still living? And they replied, your servant, our father, is still alive and well. And they bowed down, prostrating themselves before him. And as he looked about and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son, he asked, is, is this your youngest brother, the, the one that you told me about? And he said, God, be gracious to you, my son. And deeply moved or overwhelmed with compassion at the sight of of his brother. Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there. And see, this is when we start to see Joseph turn back into the Joseph who he's been all the way leading up to the story. This, this is when we see Joseph break. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, Peter writes, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. I love reading these two passages together because Joseph couldn't help but to look at his younger brother and just love him. He couldn't contain himself. The love just burst through him. And listen, church, if you're someone who's not in a state of bitterness right now, the absolute best thing that you can do is just to pour out love into the people around you so that when things do get tough, when things do get trying, if there is a betrayal, if something happens, there are deep roots of love that you've put into place that will sustain and that will cover over a multitude of sins. The best thing you can do now is just to pour out that love that there would be deep roots. But what if you're already bitter 
What if you're already struggling with that bitterness? And I think that's most of us, honestly. There's good news. See, we, we serve a God who, if you ask him to help you to love your enemies, you want to know what he's going to do? He's going to help you love your enemies. He's, he's going to give you a love that you couldn't come up with on your own, that you wouldn't have been capable of on your own. It's a supernatural love that overflows from the Father to his children, that it can overflow from us into the people around us. And he will pour that love into us if we ask for it. Church, I want you to feel this passage with Joseph. I I want you to feel the way that Joseph felt as he looked at his brother. I I imagine that this is a lot like the ways that a lot of us look at our own families, right? Every time I put my kids to bed, I, I just well up with all sorts of these different emotions that I don't even know what they are, but I'm certainly feeling something. And, and I've lost more sleep over these kids than anything else in my entire life. And yet when I lay them down and look at them, I am overwhelmed with love. Any anger, any resentment, any frustration, any exhaustion, anything that may have happened throughout the day, when I lay them down and look at them, I just love them. I think it's like some little kid superpower or something. But listen, God will pour that love into you to allow forgiveness to happen. And so this this is where Joseph began to break. This is where his hard, rocky heart began to soften enough that God could plant a seed that would begin to grow into reconciliation. So you have two options. You can ask God to give you a love that will break your heart and lead to forgiveness. Or you can hold on to your bitterness until God breaks your heart anyway. That's really all there is to it. See, bitterness will destroy you one way or another. We weren't created for it. It's it's not meant to be a part of God's good creation. And so the question is this. The question is whether or not you'll break towards reconciliation. When we keep looking at at that passage in 1 Peter 4.8, it says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Notice that it doesn't say that love might cover a multitude of sins. It doesn't say that love can or is capable of covering over a multitude of sins. It says that love covers a multitude of sins. That's a fact. That's a promise from Scripture. And if there are if, if there are sins that are hindering you from moving forward in a relationship, you need to question this. Where is the love? Because as, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, that's our responsibility to love and forgive. And so back in our story of Joseph, He's, he's been sending his brothers back and forth, and he's still sending his brothers back and forth because he's trying to work to bring them to repentance, right? But I want you to see what happens to Joseph. 
See, Joseph, as they're leaving, he takes something from his own palace and sticks it in the backpack of Benjamin, sends them off. They don't know that it's there. And then he later sends some guards to go look for a stolen item. And they're like, hey, we didn't steal anything. We promise. But the guards are like, hey, we're going to check your bags. And they get to the bag of Benjamin, the youngest brother, and they open it up and there it is. So Joseph brings them all back, and everybody's waiting to find out what's going to happen. They're all panicking. And so Joseph decides, hey, you have to leave Benjamin here to be my servant. But then Judah, who's another brother, Judah falls down before Joseph and breaks. He spills everything. He tells Joseph about how they used to have another brother, and they were so frustrated, and they sold him into slavery, but they shouldn't have done it, and they regret it. And now they can't lose Benjamin, because if they go back to dad, and he lost another son, we don't think he'll make it. You can't do this. We need to bring Benjamin back with us. And that's where we pick up. Genesis 45, 1. It says, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers, and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers weren't able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. You would be too. And then Joseph said to his brothers, he said to them, come close to me. And when they'd done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Now listen, there's a difference between breaking and letting go. Oftentimes we break, but we never actually let go. I grew up in a church where, where everyone was perfect, or at least they, they would have liked for you to believe that. And, and I think that's actually really normal for a lot of Christians, because we know we're taught the reality of sin and how bad it is, and so why would we want to admit that we live and, and have to deal with something like that? And so we just show up and decide, hey, if sin is so bad, well, then we must all just be perfect. And bitterness, bitterness just makes it one step harder because so many of us are afraid of confrontation. So we're just like Joseph. We hide behind anything that we can. Joseph is here hiding behind this Egyptian facade. He's wearing Egyptian clothes. He's got Egyptian makeup. This guy knows Hebrew, and he's speaking Egyptian through a Hebrew translator to his brothers because he's trying to prove a point. And we're no better. We grab anything we can from the world, and we hide behind it so that we can stay bitter. And Joseph, in this moment, he finally couldn't handle it anymore. He finally, he takes the facade, he takes it off, and he drops it. And in that moment, he crushes it. He says, I'm done. I'm done. I can't go back to this anymore. He's finished with it. Now listen, these glasses here, these are actually... uh, these are fake. I, uh, I'm wearing contacts. And uh, I want you to know those glasses, they, they accomplished two things. One, you thought they were real. Let's be honest. You thought they were real. They fooled you. Two, they made it a little bit harder to see. But here's the reality. This is your reality when you're unwilling to break 
towards reconciliation. See, the, the brothers are sitting here looking, and, and this man who they've been speaking with this whole time, who's speaking Egyptian through a Hebrew translator and who's been dressed like an Egyptian, who's acting like an Egyptian, was their brother? But as love breaks through, love breaks apart everything that is false and leaves only truth. So then in Genesis 45, verse 5, after he's made himself known to his brothers, Joseph says to them, he says, and now don't be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine's been in the land for these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. Listen, I'm, I'm not downplaying whether or not you've been hurt. I, I'm not downplaying whether or not somebody did something wrong to you. I'm not downplaying whether or not there are consequences for people's actions. But what I do know is that none of that is really up to you. Revenge doesn't belong to us, church. You have to let go of that. You have to let it go. The, the last time that I preached, I, I said that you can know all of the things about the Bible and it can make little to no difference in your life. But if you believe the things in the Bible, if you believe the words that God left for us, that will absolutely change the whole trajectory of your life. So what that means is this. Do you know that God is in control or do you believe it? Do you know that forgiveness is key or do you believe it? Do you know that love covers a multitude of sins or do you believe it? This should really be a heart check for each of us, for, for whether or not we truly believe the words that God has left us. It should be a heart check for us individually and as a church, whether or not we're actually as loving as we think that we are. But now that Joseph has actually let go, so this is the good news, now that he's let go, he's actually in a position to do something good. Joseph's been given a lot of power, and if you know anything about the way that Jesus treats power, it's that Jesus comes at power in a way that we can use that power to serve those who have less. And so that's exactly what Joseph does. Joseph tells Pharaoh about what's going on, and they begin to plan something crazy. So Pharaoh tells Joseph, he says, hey, bring your whole family to Egypt, all of them, bring them all to Egypt, and they can have the best of everything that we have to offer. It's all theirs because they belong to Joseph. Listen, you may not think that you have anything to offer. You, you may not think that you've got anything to give to the world around you, but you have plenty to offer. God has put you in a position that you're supposed to use to serve others. So because Joseph let go of his bitterness, he was able to enjoy his family. He was able to see his father again. He was able to meet and get to know his youngest brother. And none of that would have happened 
had he not let go of his bitterness. Everybody wins when you let go of bitterness. And listen, I'm not saying it won't hurt, but I'm saying it's worth it. But I want you to know this, church, as we close this, I want you to know that when Joseph finally let go of his bitterness and and dropped his facade, he was able to use his position of authority to bring plenty to those who were destitute. But it took him a long time to get there. And so it's important for us to remember that there's one who's better than Joseph. There's one who had to overcome far more than bitterness. One who brings more hope to those who are more destitute. See, Jesus didn't just have to overcome bitterness. Jesus overcame death. And that's why there is nothing as Christians that we cannot overcome, whether it's bitterness or anger or malice or depression or whatever it is. The same power that raised the dead body of Jesus from the grave and is the reason that he is alive now is the same spirit that lives inside of every single Christ follower. There is nothing that we can't overcome because there was one who was better than Joseph, one who overcame more than Joseph, one who realized the dream more than Joseph. One who ultimately, one who ultimately came to break towards reconciliation. So drop the bitterness. Drop the facade. You're made in the image of God. That is the true you. Embrace it. Trust the process. And and so I want to give you a moment to lay all bitterness, anxiety, depression, whatever it is, to lay anything that is not what God intended for you when he made you in his image, to lay all of that down at the feet of Jesus. And I want to give you an opportunity to come to Jesus and drop the facade to become truly human, to become exactly who he created you to be. God, we come to you this morning just so thankful for who you are, thankful for your son Jesus who ultimately paid uh, the price that would, he would be broken towards reconciliation so that all of us could find reconciliation with you, God. We thank you that, that you are one who can heal bitterness, who can restore relationships, who meets us where we are, no matter how dark. God, we praise you for being a God who, though we may be in a time that it seems there's no way forward, that it seems that everything that we were living for is out of reach now. God, we know that you're still moving. We know that you're still on the throne. We know that you're still in charge and that you still have plans. And so, God, we trust you with this. We lay it all at your feet. We submit everything to you, King Jesus. And we love you and we praise you with everything that we have. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you, church, and I hope you have a wonderful week.